0: everybody
1: hello everybody welcome to christmas week yeah it's christmas week this is the last and the last class in 2022 since we're not meeting on next That's monday right. Yeah. right and today we finished up first thessalonians Woohoo! right
0: it's a threefer
1: i wish the next one we were going to do was easier to pronounce but for me but we're not we're yes. going to go to second thessalonians <laughs> and i will get more practice at saying it so welcome everybody on this monday Um, I know it's a bit chilly out there. Uh, Josie said it's chilly down in Florida where she lives. Wow. But we're all going to get a lot chillier here, I think.
0: Friday morning. Yeah,
1: Thursday for the Angle Christmas EVV party, whatever it is. Yes. Yeah, that's going to be...
0: I just asked our little lady in the box, you know, her name A L E X I A. Can't, do not can't say it because no. she thinks we want her. Yes. But um yeah, she said on Thursday it was gonna be like in the upper forties but or mid forties, but I think that's like at twelve oh one AM.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then it drops it's from there. Come on down. So you better make sure you have a have lots of gas in your car. Because you are not going to want to be out gassing up. I on do, I do. Thursday, Friday, so that's Saturday, a good, that's Sunday. That's
0: a good reminder <laughs> for all of you out there, because uh, yeah, yeah,
1: you're not. Nobody's going to want to be standing at a gas pump right. come Friday. So um, I saw that Carl and Diana Reeves are with us. Carl, I got my black rifle coffee that you sent, <laughs> and I've had several cups of it. It is bold. Um, it has a faint pecant of um, gun oil. I think, you know, good. with a little, um, uh,
0: it's good. I don't even like coffee, Oak but I like stock, the smell of maybe.
1: it. <laughs> yeah. And how delicious is it? And a, and a, and a nice, nice sweet aftertaste of gunpowder.
0: Carl, <laughs> he's totally enjoying no, it. No, it's good. And you know, I'm not a coffee drinker, but what I thought was just, I know, this is so girly. The little box that it comes in looks kind of like a little, little rifle box on. or no, something. something. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that good, was really good cute. coffee.
1: Good bold coffee. Yes. So thank you. Thank you, Carl. And I I appreciate that. So, here we are. Okay. Um so we're going to finish up for first, 1 first Thessalonians today. So it's a good day to bring any questions about anything you have. Um it's possible we'll finish up a little bit early, but I don't see any reason to start 2 Thessalonians today. We'll just start that when we get back, after Christmas, after New Year's, Mm -hmm. on January 2nd. Yeah, January 2nd. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you have anything else you would like to add, I'm Just trying to
0: think if there's anything else. Um,
1: Are you ready for Christmas? That's a question everybody asks, right? No matter who you see, anytime, day or night, they want to know, are you ready for Christmas?
0: I am. I have things to wrap, but all the presents are bought. A few things are coming in um, that were bought online that should be here this week. Uh, I have your stocking stuffers. How would you I do that? Do when did you do that? I haven't. I said I have to get.
1: Oh, I haven't done yep. it either. Yep. So I, it. I don't know when I'm going to do that.
0: And but... we decided on a mutual thing for Christmas. Yeah, we just
1: decided that today. We yep. finally landed on our the christmas gift we're giving each other and we're going to take a cruise we haven't been on a cruise in 3 years
0: and for so, us that is a long time we we've, yeah. we've been on close to 30 cruises together yeah and for it to go 3 years and we decided we've been on a number just of a little, little week long
1: caribbean yep. fort lauderdale fort lauderdale kind of cruise that's right this is the kind of cruise where they lost my luggage one time. That's you know, true. just the flight from Dallas to Fort Lauderdale. American Airlines non-stop. managed non-stop, non-stop, non-stop flight. <laughs> managed to lose my luggage. Never
0: got it ever. Crazy, Crazy. but you got a little. You got a little a claim um, about six months later from American after you had to go through hoops on that.
1: Well, it was just I tracked down the contact information for the VP of customer service, which you practically have to go to the dark web to find. <laughs> but I found it.
0: And as soon as he found it, it was instantaneous. <laughs> yeah,
1: I sent the letter up and I had a, a reply from an admin, um, his or her admin, like within two hours and telling me it was all going to be done by Monday. Yeah. So that is the secret. That's I don't know just- that I could repeat that or not, yeah. but... <laughs> It worked. So, any case, okay, well, let's just pray and get started, shall we? That's wonderful. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, on this Christmas week, we are grateful to be here to come back to Paul's letter about the good news, the good news that is the news of Jesus' incarnation about his sacrifice for us, his, just God coming to earth for us. It's, it's, It's more than we can really handle if we stop and contemplate it. So help us to be grateful and help us to hear Paul well today as we finish up his letter um, to the Thessalonians. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. All righty to move over to the other side
1: you know patty and i are doing the christmas day service those of you who don't know that we're doing the christmas day service i'm i'm delivering a little message we're gonna patty's gonna be the liturgist we're gonna bless toys so i'm working on my christmas day message trying to think about what it is i want to talk about and
0: And i have to work on my prayer my prayer is the liturgist too yes the pastoral prayer
1: yes that whole yep so it'll be it'll be we did this six years ago, so we're ready to do it again. Okay, so friends, um, here's where we are. We are First Thessalonians, chapter five, verse twelve, beginning the final instructions from Paul to the Thessalonians, and um, he just to give you a little hint about what's coming, he is going to urge them to learn from their leaders right the, the the question obviously on Paul's mind as a pastor is how do you get people how do you teach people what this new life really is this new life in Christ because when we come to faith in Jesus yes we are reborn no question but it's not like magic it's not like instantly you're going to instantly start living this 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 um totally Christ-like life. We have have to learn what it is, kind of like children who have to learn how to speak and how to walk and how to speak properly and the rest of it. And so how do, how are we as Christians to do this? And so in this final set of instructions, he's kind of organized about it and he's gonna lift up the Christian leaders and teachers Um, in Thessalonica. Now they're all also new Christians. Everybody's a new Christian at this time. But clearly Paul sees that some of the people in Thessalonica, some of the Christians, have been called by God to lead and to teach. And we can be sure that he has spent a lot of time equipping them. He's equipping them in this letter. So that's sort of the first level. Then the second level is, well, we learn this from each other, right? Christianity is to be lived within a community there is no conception in the New Testament of an isolated mountaintop Christian who removes themselves from the church from the body of Christ none zero zip um uh, Paul wouldn't understand somebody who says well you know i'm 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 just going to worship Jesus my way, and I will see you guys later. He would just say, well, no, you're not. You're, you're just going your own way. You, you have to be part of the body of Christ, part of the church, um, part of the people of God. And so we are called to learn and live with one another. Um, we read scripture as a community of people. It's what helps keep us from going off the wrong track. Um, I've mentioned before, of course, are cult leaders who find themselves on the wrong track, decide I guess, that they kind of like it, and what they have to do is they have to remove everybody from families in the larger world in order to sustain it because, you know, they don't want anyone being embedded in the larger larger church. And then finally, Paul's going to get pretty straightforward about talking about the grammar of it all. But I will get to that in a minute, the grammar of it all. So look at verse 12, and here's what he says. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. Now, that's not, you know, digging ditches. That is that is the work. Of the Lord, That is the work of building for the kingdom of God. That's what he means. That's what's in view. To acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Well, isn't that interesting? We don't live in a world where people want to get admonished very much anymore. You know, um, those of us who do what Arthur does, or Kim, or me, or... Lauren or Jimmy, you know, you have to learn ways to try to guide people without making them feel like they're being scolded. Because nobody likes to feel like they're being scolded. So, I find humor goes a long way. Um, But we have to be, we have to be open to being um, admonished. Seems like a hard word. Admonished. To being to being nudged, to being corrected a little bit, you know, um, and and really, that's what good friends do. I mean, good friends will sit down and say to you, "Oh man, Scott, you are you are on the wrong path here. This is not what God wants you to do, right?" That takes a certain amount of bravery and courage, even from good friends. But it is what good friends should be able to do and it's really Paul's view of who we are as the body of Christ. You see, we're brothers and sisters in this family who should be able to do that for one another. And we have leaders, shepherds, who are charged by God to help us all grow in the faith. And we have to be open to that. I have always strived to be. I've learned a lot from a lot of different people. Um, i learned a lot from Charles Stokes, from Robert Hasley. I've learned from Arthur. I've learned from others. So we, we all have to be open to that. Then he says, so hold them, these are the leaders, the shepherds, the pastors, the teachers, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. God has called them to this. It should never be if if they ever see it as a power trip, they're in the wrong they're not they're not called by God to it. That that's what's happened in certain churches, big churches like Mars Hill and other places where the pastors just utterly lost their way. They just get filled up with celebrity and power and money and turn into very poor witnesses to Jesus. Um Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work, and live in peace with each other. Peace really has to precede everything. Um, no matter what you think, the church, how the church should function, or how society should function, um, peace has. Peace is where it has to begin. Um, it's like, you've probably heard the slogan, no justice, no peace. Well, I get the sentiment, but that's backwards. Because you're not going to find your way to justice without peace preceding it. Justice, justice isn't going to come out of chaos. So, so, so... Peace, true peace, a just peace, yes. A just peace, yes. So live in peace with each other. Um, it doesn't mean glossing over the difficulties, but handling them in a material way so that we are living with each other in the body of Christ, in the church, in peace. That's what's so distressing to me about the way the UN, a lot of the UN, this UMC stuff is being handled right now. People have different directions that they want to go. And it's been coming a long time and it's been brewing a long time. And what I find the most distressing about it all is how much antipathy there is and how much really just downright games playing and lying there is that goes on in this. And I just don't understand how people can't get a grip on themselves and recognize, well, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we want to go in two different directions, if you really want to head off on your own, fine. I love you. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should be able to do that in peace. But boy, I guess it just reflects the fact that we, we are still um, people burdened by sin and pride and fear that causes us not to really live in peace with each other like we should. Okay? And we urge, verse 14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, okay, so now this is getting to the larger group, warn those who are idle. (laughs) What was that saying about... (sighs) um about I people. idle hands with the devil's workshop that was one that would come out of my parents' mouth once in a while idle hands with the devil's workshop so that's interesting about Paul um you get it in another one of his letters where he says everyone has to work okay um i i think he one of the things he was battling was some christians at this time very sure that Jesus was about to return kind of felt they could just, like, kick back and wait for it. And idleness, idleness can create a lot of trouble. Um, And Paul would just say, no, you know, you can't, we we all have to work. You can't just lay about waiting um, for Jesus to come back. We all have to work. work. Work is given to us before um, Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit in Genesis. That's a that's a profound, that is one of those slap across the face moments for most people when, when it's pointed out to them that work is given before they eat the forbidden fruit. Yes, after they do the work is going to become hard and there's going to be bristles and thorns and all that stuff, but work itself, to work in the Garden of Eden and to make it grow and thrive, that is given to them before they ever rebel against God. And so, work is an integral part of what it means to be human. Um, I read the other day that there are basically 7 million missing men in America there are 7 million men between the ages of let's say 25 and 60 who have gone missing in the sense that they're not working they were working pre-covid and they're not working now and an economist was saying well, I heard him on the on on in some kind of news hour or something thing the, of, of all the economic statistics that he looks at, this is the most distressing one. Where are they? What kind of lives are they leading? Are they going to live their whole life not working? Um, it's not how we're built. We are built to create work that is satisfying and fulfilling, and all of us have a responsibility to do that, especially those of us who are in positions of authority and management and the rest of it but these seven million messing men, the economist was just going on and on about because he just couldn't understand where they were. How was it they're not coming back to work? So Paul says, you know, no idlers. Warn those who are idle and disrupt- and disruptive, right? Presumably the disruptiveness flows out from the idleness, <laughs> flows out of the idleness. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. We are to build up the body of Christ, not do things that tear it down. We're to build up our brothers and sisters, not tear them down. We are to put the interests of others ahead of our own, Philippians 2. We are to set aside our selfish ambitions, Philippians 2. So warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. There are a lot of blows that we take in life. Some are blows that we absorb ourselves because of our health or um, our jobs, job loss, blows that affect people we care about that flow over to us. And I imagine that we have all experienced periods where we are disheartened and you just feel I don't want to say down cuz that's a word we use like but we're disheartened. We we don't are 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 we don't have much spi- much much spirit in life. And when that happens, we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us. You know, um that To help us see that it isn't necessarily that we always be optimistic. Because being optimistic is a function of, that's a human thing. I'm optimistic because of what we humans can do. But we we have hope. Because hope is something that is grounded in God. Across scripture, beginning to end, hope is something that is grounded in God's purposes, God's intents, God's faithfulness. That is the ground of our hope. So I like that. Encourage the disheartened. Um, And it's what we are called to do. It's what, not just what pastors are called to do, it's what we're all called to do. Because we're now in the sexy where we, in verse 14, we're moving on to our life together as brothers and sisters. Verses 12 and 13 are a little more focused on the, the shepherds, the leaders, the teachers, the pastors. But verse 14, this is all we urge you brothers and sisters warn those who are idle and disruptive encourage that is heartened. help the weak we're not all made the same way are we um some people can simply absorb more than other people can that's my that's my life experience that um some people are just um some people are beset by a lot of problems in their life they're beset by trauma they might have experienced in their life. And um, we need to remember that, like when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, what is the thrust of the song that she sings? The Magnificat, magnificat, that Mary's child is gonna turn the world upside down. That the child is born first for those who are disheartened and those who are weak. Because those who have a lot of spirit and are strong, well, they don't need so much help. That's just how life is. And of course, scripture's about life. God's about life, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone.
0: That's sometimes the hardest.
1: Yeah, it is, you know, because truth is, like Arthur was alluding to in his alluding to in his sermon, Sonny, there are people that annoy us. We wish yes. they didn't. Yes, you know, but they do, and we have to get past that and be patient with everyone. And um, it's it's not it's not easy, but it is the life to which we are called. It's what we have to learn to be able to do. It's part about grow. It's part of growing in discipleship. What does it mean to grow in discipleship? Well, it means you're going to encourage the disheartened, you're going to help the weak. You're going to be patient with everyone. That, that's the shape of the life of a disciple looks like. Then he goes on, talking about our life together. He says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Hmm. That, the idea of paying back, wrong for wrong is deeply appealing to us. It just is. And it is not God's way. You know, we don't wanna feel like anybody's taking advantage of us. <coughs> if they slap me, we wanna slap them back. It's it, it's like an instant reaction, but it's one that we need to control and it's one in which that the community needs to help us control. Okay, The community should restrain our, what are called, lesser angels. Do not repay wrong for wrong. Now, I could take you through this whole list of the movement in Scripture from unlimited vengeance through leaving vengeance to God all the way to Jesus where you have unlimited forgiveness. It's this developing revelation of, of the place of forgiveness in our lives. And it's where we need to end up. I'm just telling you, it's where we need to end up. Because the old adages, I used to hear people say, you know, if you, if you, if you carry poison in you toward another person, it, it's not they don't care, but it's you're poisoning yourself. Another old adage, he who begins a journey of revenge should dig two graves. I can't tell you, Patty and I watch a lot of crime movies and television shows. We like a good murder mystery and stuff. I'm not sure why, but we do.
0: I like being the detective. Yeah, she likes being the detective.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, And so many of them are built around this theme of the wreckage left by the desire for vengeance and the seeking of vengeance and the seeking of payback. We just finished from it. it. was all about payback for something that had happened, a mistake that had happened years and years before. And it's, it's sadly it's what we are and we as Christians have to learn to grow past that till we won't pay back wrong for wrong. Instead we will always strive to do what is good for each other. That's in the community, right? You can see where he's going and for everyone else. You know, so you could accuse Paul of only focusing on the community, of brothers and sisters, but that's not true. That is not what he, he, time and time again in his letters, he is helping the Christians understand that, yes, you are first part of this community. These are your brothers and sisters. But there's a whole lot of everyone else's out there that are not your brother and sister in the same sense. But you must seek their good. You must seek their good. Um, that's the way. That's the way of Jesus. You may not feel like it, but that's 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 what that's what we're that's what we're called to do. So, so, that's it. So, so verses 12 and 13 are focused on the learning that we do together, um, wait, the learning that we do under the leadership of our shepherds and pastors and the rest. And then 14, 15 are about our learning with each other and how we live this life together. And uh, before I go on, let me just see if there's any questions or anything about that, any thoughts you have, Patty, anybody has?
0: Yeah, I just, the part of it, the very first of verse 14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. And man, that may not go over great. That's kind of a scary thing to have to tell somebody else, especially if they are a brother or sister in Christ, that you, you, you know, you're concerned about them being idle. And even... Disruptive is, is, is easier when you tell them, you know, it's our kind of our job to keep the peace. Yeah. And, but.
1: Idleness, you know, and, and so... I am unlikely to walk up to somebody and say, well, why aren't you, are you looking for a job? Or... Ah, that's what I mean, right? right? yeah. I, I, I don't know that that's... Um,
0: I wonder if he if that's how he meant it. Do you think possibly... I know you have said um, before that a lot of people living during these times um, truly believe that Jesus might walk back any minute. Maybe these are folks who are just saying, I don't have to do anything because he's coming soon. I wonder if maybe something along those lines. You
1: do get that sense in some of his other letters. Yes. Um, And so that, you know, that could be. That, you know, and it could be there, again, we have only one side of the conversation, we only have the letter, so we're, you know, there may be something more specific that he is responding to, that they know what he's talking about with his idleness business, and it may be exactly what you just said. Um, But it's also true, simply, you know, that idle hands are the devil's workshop, and so we will certainly gently try to say sometimes things like that in family or with our sons or daughters or something I guess you know I've um, I don't have much experience with idle people because you know we've just kind of my family has always just kind of worked and that kind of thing so I don't know good thoughts I know
0: people though do try to keep their kids involved where they can in good activities right Good activities because, right, there's this fear that if your kid is not involved in sports or playing chess or whatever it might be something that is, I want to use the word like wholesome you do worry that if they have nothing to do, right, what will they do? Idle and, hands. You know, when I was 18, my parents moved me from Staten Island, New York to this very, very, very small town in South. Florida, the southwest side of Florida Florida, called Rotunda West. It was close to a city called Incawood and Venice and 50 or 60 miles from Sarasota. There was nothing to do there. I was a lucky one. Um, I had graduated high school early and, and was taking a little time off before I went to college and I immediately got a job. But it was an area where the kids there, the teenagers were in trouble. All the time, because there was they were idle. There was nothing to do but to get in trouble, and I, I will always remember that. And I mm. think that's why we tried to push Robbie into doing things all the time. Right, right. Okay. His idle hands. A little bit of Patty's past. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that happens sometimes. Really. Yeah,
1: I believe you. And yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of funny. We have all these cliches. I have. I have probably somewhere on on my over my shoulder a dictionary of cliches. I think, um, and they get born out of common sense observations in life, right? And they become so common sense, and so that they become cliches. But there's still always this, almost always a kernel of truth in them. Yes, idle hands of the devil's workshop. It's it's anyway. Okay. So let's talk about grammar for a minute. Grammar, okay. When we're little, as in infants, growing up, we slowly learn to speak. And we slowly learn words, and we slowly learn how to put those words together so that we can be understood, usually so our wants can be met. and we begin to learn English grammar. You don't have, not going to school for it yet, but just learning English grammar. And as we get older then still, we then go to school where we learn more grammar and the school tries to correct in us some bad habits we might've picked up when we were little bitty kids um, or pick up at home and her grammar maybe will improve. I'm a product of the Louisiana Public Schools, so my grammar was not great. And I can always remember when I was in graduate school, I ended up driving in every day with a woman who had been an editor at a big book publishing firm in New York. And so I quickly told Linda that what I wanted her to do was to correct my grammar every day as we rode into school. Well, at first she didn't wanna do it. I guess maybe that was a weird request or people are hesitant to correct anyone's grammar, often for very good reasons. But I sincerely meant it and she did it and we did that for about eight or nine months and I thought my grammar probably improved a lot. So, the Christian life is kind of like that. There's a grammar to the Christian life. There's a way of living this life this new life, this reborn life that God has given us and we it's not magic we aren't re we aren't born a second time instantly knowing all of that. We have to grow into it and we do that with good guides and teachers and models and we do that with each other and we have to put the work in and all the time the Holy Spirit is helping us and guiding us in this but there is this grammar to learn and i it's, a, it's an illustration from N.T. Wright that I think is pretty good there's this grammar to learn um, that is the grammar of the Christian life and Certainly in Paul's world, it was very countercultural. And I think it is now increasingly countercultural. It we went through a time when the culture and this, the secular culture and this, well, I'll call it what, sacred grammar, when they were more closely aligned. But now I think because of the rapid rise of secularism, and the abandonment of faith and Christianity by so many, they are fast pulling apart again. And so we have to work doubly hard with our kids, our friends, ourselves, to learn and to live this grammar. And so that that's the little section we're coming up on. So I know you have it open in your... Um, NIV, I think what we're going to do is, let's read it in the NIV, and then I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to read you N.T. Wright's translation, because he he's also done his, his translation of the New Testament. So, I don't know. I was struck by it today, so let's do that. We're just going to read through the NIV here, all the way up uh, through verse 22. So Paul says, and it's kind of a list, right? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Okay? So this is N.T. Wright's translation of these verses and then I'll elaborate on them. So, number one. Always celebrate. That's what rejoice means. Always celebrate. What are we celebrating? It's Christmas. Are we celebrating trees? No, we're celebrating the fact that God, the creator of the cosmos, deigned to become human. That God loves us so much that God was willing to take on human flesh and be born like one of us in that dusty, inconsequential corner of the world called Nazareth. I mean, really? Really? Again, it's it's something that we've domesticated because we're used to hearing it, but we have to regain that sense of wonder. Like a small child, sense of wonder. It's something that seems just, I don't know, walking into Disney for the first time or something, whatever it might be for a small child. We have to regain that sense of wonder and we have to celebrate it every day. It should help us to not be disheartened and to be encouraged. So this rejoicing The celebrating is, for Paul, is something, that's that's just part and parcel of the life that we lead. And you have to do it regardless of your circumstances. Happiness is a function of your circumstances. Joy, rejoicing, celebrating is not. Always celebrate. Never stop praying. Okay, so if you conceive of prayer... As only on your knees with your hands folded and words, and you're saying words. Well, obviously, you can't do that 24 7. Not anything close to it. Maybe you could if you were in a convent or something, but um, we're not. But this is a theme of Paul's as well that we have to live our lives every moment, in the presence of God. Prayer is a way of making concrete our acknowledgement that we live in the presence of God. And it is being aware of God and aware of God's presence each hour, each day in our lives. And sure, we will get in situations and things where we drift away, but but you can't, you have to pull yourself back. Pray continually, Paul says. That's that's the life. That's um, uh, one publisher I guess called it the with God life. The Emmanuel principle they called it. Um, that you would that that you would actively strive every day to live your life with God. Um, that isn't, that isn't really like this fellow I interviewed once for a job. And he went around and we showed him the office and he said, well, we kind of like this, we kind of like this, we have some questions for you. And we, 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 we all day long. All hour, it was a day. All half hour long probably. <laughs> all I had. And so we get kind of to the end of our, the time we're spending together and I said, well, okay, let me ask you. Who's we? And he said, Me and God. I said, Okay. So I don't know. I mean, even now, with all that I do and have done for the last 20 years, that still strikes me as kind of weird. But there are simple things that we can do to keep us aware that we are living. In God's presence. One is saying prayers daily. One is saying grace before every meal, at home, in public. Doesn't matter. It's just these small ways that you could do that. I've counseled some guys to carry something in their pocket or keep something on their desk at work or some way that that you could. Um, participate in some online Bible studies, do something once a week in a lunch hour or something. Ways to really not let this degenerate into a I go to church on Sunday kind of deal. That's how I was for a long time. I went to church on Sunday. Maybe I went to choir practice Wednesday night. But there wasn't any sense really of anything else during the week. I wasn't really living in God's presence every day. I wasn't I wasn't praying continually as Paul puts it. So I, I do understand what Paul is saying here. Just just never stop praying. And if if you find that you have direct prayers to God and you find that they go unanswered, keep praying and maybe ask that the holy spirit would guide you in what it is you're praying for and if you're sure well this is this is this is I'm this is what I should be praying for then just keep at it just keep at it just keep at it cuz if that's what your heart is just keep at it cuz god knows what your heart is anyway and then the third one in this little grammar. So always celebrate, never stop praying, and in everything be thankful. <laughs> what do they call it now? Uh, having a attitude of gratitude. Always be thankful. Um, you don't have to have a lot to be thankful. That's not what I observe in Christians from other parts of the world who don't have much. Right, they're thankful for what they have. They're thankful for the life that they lead. I think sometimes our material wealth feeds a desire for more material wealth that that it can feed in us an ingratitude when it really should be the opposite because we have so much. How can we not be grateful? Well, you could not be grateful if you're totally focused on, well, okay, I've got this, but really, God, come on. I need that, I need that. Then I'll be grateful. It's, it's, I was just reading something the other day, it was about, it was, a, it was an essay, and it was in it that the, the writer was looking at, at the Protestant Reformation. He said, one thing the Protestants did not figure out how to do they, they did not figure out how to tame our desire for wealth. And the author felt that before the Reformation, the church had done a better job with that. Through different means and the rest of it. But he said, we haven't really figured that out as Protestants. how to tame our desire for wealth. And um, I think that's probably... That's probably true and it works against our being grateful. Because there's always, there's always more. There's always a better, bigger, shinier, whatever, you pick it. We have a TV that my parents could never have dreamed of well, boy, there are bigger ones out there. Yes, there are. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I think, yeah. So,
0: Our kids have them. <laughs>
1: yeah, our kids have them. See, but they probably, knowing them, they're they're ready to, to upgrade or something. So and I think the life we lead can make it hard for us to be as grateful as we should. Anyway, in everything, be thankful for this is God's will for you. In the Messiah, Jesus. Wow, look at that parens there. Whew. This is big for Paul. The Christians are to be grateful. This is God's will for us to be grateful. In whom? In the Messiah. Lord Jesus. That's like big billboards. We are to be a grateful people. We are to, we are to cultivate great gratefulness, thankfulness. Okay number 19 don't quench the spirit maybe maybe these next four or next five even kind of go together don't quench don't quench the spirit um don't be too quick to poo-poo what you hear from uh, a teacher or a preacher or something. Um, We erect a lot of barriers, the things that will challenge our way of life or challenge the identity that we have constructed for ourselves. And so it can be hard i think for us not to simply just turn away or or like quench that you know quenching is is putting um putting like a hot a hot iron in water don't don't quench the spirit um don't shut down don't turn away it's not the right response even if you have questions even if you think something is is not, not right. Don't quench the spirit, don't look down on prophecies. Prophecy, remember, is not predictions of the future. These are forth tellings of God's word. Don't look down on prophecies, he says, don't look down on on these proclamations of God's word, but test everything, that's the key. You have to test everything. Test everything. So you don't have to listen to any of the old sermons of Jim Jones or some of the other people like him to understand that, no. 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 (laughs) It doesn't stand up to any kind of test. But there are a lot of popular preachers, I think, today who who still, we just need to test it. We as a community, we as individuals, we working together, we need to test it. You know, so-and-so said X. Is that right? Is that really what it means to be a Christian, you know? Can we really um, uh, do X, Y, or the Z? Test everything. And if something is good after you've tested it, then hold fast to it. And if something looks wrong, looks evil, then, turn, then you know, keep away from it. Right? So it's interesting that Paul is very much focused on the people, the community, being able to test and examine. Um, you can imagine that there are evangelists coming. It's all new. They're saying different things. Do the people just get caught up in maybe the enthusiasms of a skilled orator who shows up preaching something that smells like the good news but actually isn't the good news? Or do they test it? And so Paul's deal is they test it. And we live in a time of TV evangelism. We um, And it has to be tested. Everything's tested. That, that's how we're, that's, That's how we grow. That's how this is done. Okay, so enough of that. All right. Oh,
0: here we are.
1: Okay. Here we are. Verse 23. Mm-hmm. May God Himself, the God of peace, see, from where does true peace come? It comes from God. We're not going to find the peace we seek within ourselves. We're going to. You're going to have to begin with God. And if if we live in a society that is not going to do that, then that society is not going to find their way to the peace that they seem to be looking for. That's just the truth of it. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. That means to make you holy through and through. Ever more Christ-like. An ever truer disciple. I use lots of synonyms for these things sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. Now that's not a capital S spirit because I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. That is my, you know, that is my own the spirit with which I approach life. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, live a life that you could present to Jesus. Don't live a life that you would be ashamed to present to Jesus if he came back tonight what would you have to say to him? how many I, there are times in my life when I was younger that I'm really glad Jesus didn't show up at that moment you know strive to live a life that is blameless with every bit of who we are, our spirit, our soul, our body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. Who who calls us to, to Jesus? Who calls us to faith? Who calls us to the body of Christ? Rhetorical question? Looking for an answer? It's God. God calls us to this. God finds you. You don't find God. God finds you. We we might experience it as our finding God, but God finds us. We don't find God. God finds us. We are the, we are the sheep that God goes looking for. God finds us. The one who calls you is faithful, utterly faithful. The keeper of promises. The one who was born to a virgin in order to keep those promises, is utterly faithful to us. If you want a rock of faithfulness in your life, you better turn to God. There's nowhere else to turn. We are all weaker vessels. It's God who is faithful, faithful, faithful. The one who calls you is faithful. I love that line the one who calls you with faithful, and He will do it. God keeps His promises. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you with faithful, and He will do it. Aha! So as we strive to live holy lives, God indeed protects us and makes us blameless. That's this whole... That, that's that's sort of the paradox here. I guess paradox is the right word. We strive to be blameless. We strive to be the person God has already made us into. That's my favorite way of saying it. Like when I was 15 and my mother would say, Scott, you're 15, would you act like it? Instead of acting like you're 10. Um, we, we, are, we grow in Christ. We learn the grammar of the Christian life. Um... So that we can become the disciples, come the people, come the, the blameless people that God has already made us into. Because the one who calls us is faithful and he will do it. So, in closing, Paul writes this He says, Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Paul was a prayer, he was always urging people to pray. Um, and let me give you one last piece of advice about prayer for this. Don't, if you, fall, if you find yourself falling into the trap of thinking that your prayer can't make any difference in what actually happens, you're doomed. That's doomed. It's, it's If you don't think praying with God can make any difference. And well, why should God listen? It's poison. It's poison. And and it's not true. Our prayers do make a difference. Just cuz we can't discern what that is all the time. Go read the story of Hezekiah in in um, the book of Kings and his prayers and of, Dallas Wilder wrote about this. It's just it's just poison. Um, if, if we don't think it's real, if we don't think prayer is real, then why should God listen? Uh, that really struck me and it stayed with me. And for all of the philosophical arguments people might might make, I don't care. It has to be real. It is real. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. That's What is that like? Okay, that's like that's like it's Christmas day, the family all gets together and there are a lot of hugs and kisses going around. Little kisses on the cheek and all this stuff. It's an expression of familial love and loyalty and affection. That's what that is. And why is it there? Because the family of Christ is a family. Brothers and sisters. To be greeted as we would greet blood family. Greet all God's people. Now that's that's the family of Christ. That's not the world at large. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. And then he says, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Paul knows what he is doing. He is their pastor. He's taken the time to write out this letter, and it's not a long letter um, compared to others of his, and he wants it to be read out. And so it's not surprising that this was, that they did, would have done that in Thessalonica, and then they would have sat down and made copies of it and sent it to other house churches in other cities, and they would have made copies of it and sent them on to other house churches and other cities, and on and on it would go. And that is how these letters became Scripture because it didn't take long before they were read and shared across the Christian communities um, in the Roman Empire. And Paul's writing a pastoral letter and what, what he wrote here There are some things in here that would apply specifically to Thessalonica, but he knows that there's a lot here that, that everybody should hear. So, I love that. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And then he closes it with the perfect closing, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's the closing to 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 this letter this wish for 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 God's grace to be poured out on these people in as they are striving to to learn and they're worshiping together and and the rest of it um, you know I in my signature now that I have set up in, in word when I send emails and stuff out some of you have made us notice that I write grace and peace comma. Scott. I just write great, grace and peace comma Scott. And I use that everywhere. I use it down at UT Southwestern and everywhere. I don't know. I just, you know, I want people to see a little a little stamp of, you know, Jesus in there somewhere. So anyway, so that is First Thessalonians. So nobody's typing anything in with questions for me today. So that's okay. That's cool. Um, I think what I'm gonna you I'm gonna suggest you do is, I know you're real busy. Everybody's real busy this week, but maybe in the next week or two, you could find a f- little bit of time and a partner, and one of you just read the letter out loud to the other one from the beginning to the end, all five chapters. Don't, you know, it's not for study. It's just to hear it as a complete, as a complete letter. Um, And I, I think that, you know, you will, you will see a lot of joy and peace in this letter as Paul is obviously very fond of the Thessalonians. So, when we come back together in two weeks, we are going to talk. We're going to begin Second Thessalonians, which is not an immediate follow-on to this, and it's a controversial letter. It's one of the letters which a lot of scholars um, aren't even—they aren't even sure that, like Paul wrote it. It's just—it's just different, very much, very different from First Thessalonians. You know, um, I find increasingly now here we're going into twenty. 10 and 2020 and so forth that there are more and more Paul scholars accepting something like 2 Thessalonians as being from Paul but you just have to be willing to understand that people write different letters for different reasons at different times of their life and you'll see when we do 2 Th- Thessalonians it, it's a it's a very different, different piece of writing so I'm going to invite Patty over to finish us up with prayer. We want to lift up to Maybelle Henderson's friend, Celeste.
0: I did see that. She's in the hospital.
1: Terrible time to be in a hospital, isn't it? It is not it But there are people in... The hospitals are full. They are.
0: They are. I had a friend who went into the hospital a week or two ago, and uh, she had to sit in an emergency room for 10 hours before she got a room. So, just the way that it is. So, um, anyway, um, I guess the best thing for us is to all try to stay well.
1: <laughs> yes, let's do that
0: <laughs> and pray and truly and 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 pray to God to you know keep you healthy and well and um, so anyway, guys, I know we'll see some of you tomorrow. Um, it is sort of our Christmas party at our Tuesday class in yeah. person, so. Really, if you're out there and you can make it tomorrow, to the come, come. I'm sure there'll be tons of food. Tuesday
1: noon, Barrow Hall.
0: Yes, we've all, um, you know, are not everybody's bringing something, but some people are bringing something. If you wanted to bring something to share, you can. I am guessing, like in previous years, there will be so much food, it's crazy. Yeah. And then you will be doing kind of a fun lesson tomorrow. A fun lesson,
1: sort of a. You know, did you know that Christmas, as you know it, is only a couple hundred years old? Yes. How is that?
0: It's um, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's very very interesting. All the it's it's all just Christmassy things Christmassy. because we're you got as, it. as we know, we're at a point where um, you, you're not starting a new book. So no, I'm gonna I'm gonna start two be, new ones. Sorry that this that first week in January because well, be we're kind starting of fun. First
1: Samuel on Tuesdays yes. and Second Thessalonians on Monday. Mondays.
0: Mondays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, baby. So um, please join with me as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, so much um, that it's the close today of Thessalonians, the first letter from Paul. We're very grateful, Lord. Um, We learned a lot. We learned a lot by just going through this book. And I think that there will be things that come back to us as we go on in our Bible studies in the years that came from this particular book. We pray, Lord, that you would keep this group close. Lord, this, this week of Christmas is here and a lot of people are are running around in all directions and it's kind of crazy and Christmassy, and there are other wonderful people who find this as a time of maybe of a little bit of uh, sadness. Um, as maybe they're alone this Christmas or have lost somebody that they love this Christmas this past year and we just pray God that your Holy Spirit would fill each of these groups Lord with your love and we pray God that you would help us to remember every day truly the reason why we're celebrating Christmas again this year and how blessed we are to be here another year Lord we pray God that you would not only keep us but our friends and our family healthy lord and safe over this holiday season and we do pray god for your wisdom in our lives and your discernment and we pray god for those that we love very much folks in our life our, our friends our family who have not yet accepted jesus into their heart and we we just pray for that god that you know seeds are being planted out there um, and that hopefully soon Um, they will respond, Lord, and will want to get to know your son, Jesus, better and put their faith and their trust in him. We pray today, Lord, as we're closing out right now for Celeste, who is in a hospital. She is a friend of Maybell's, and we pray, God, that you would watch over her, help the doctors and nurses who are caring for her, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that you're just holding Celeste in your hands, and, God, that your care Um, is just being being shown all around her, God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, God, so much for taking the time to listen to our prayers today. We know they're never in vain. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Okay. Goodbye. Adios, everybody, and big week this week. Okay, we'll see. I'm sure we'll see everybody on Christmas Eve. There are so many services. Yes. So anyway, love y'all. Adios. Bye-bye. And give me
0: lots of grace on Sunday. Please. (laughs) <laughs> That's not the liturgist.
1: And if you're not coming to the Christmas Day service, keep us in your prayers. Yes, please, yes.
0: please. <laughs> Bye, Bye, y'all.